Everybody welcome. You're listening to the Amplify podcast brought to you by The Rise Collective. We are an organization that champions young creatives and builds collectives at the forefront of social change. I'm Arden Fitzroy, lead producer on the second series of Amplify. Queer joy. The voices you are about to hear are the next generation of creative leaders and change makers. Each episode in this series is a celebration of queer identity and experience captured through discussion, music and poetry. These are our own stories on our own terms. Hello everybody and welcome to Amplify's second episode of the Neve and Maya show where we, Neve and Maya, will be talking about queer stuff. We will. This episode we'll be talking about some queer poetry, talking about our own influences and processes of writing, as well as interviewing the very, very talented queer poet Connor Byrne. But for now, Neve, how are you? I'm good. We've just been hanging out with our gay neighbours in the garden. <laughs> we have. We've got a kitten, everybody. We do. Um, Jerry. Which we didn't have last episode. We were recording. So um, yeah, Jerry is a little kitten. She is a little monster. Before we get on to talking about some poetry, anyone who's at home, grab yourself a nice coffee, a nice tea, a glass of water, hydrate yourself. Hydrate yourself. Yeah. If you're on the tube, have a look around you, take a moment to observe, look at who's next to you, don't look too hard, you know, you don't want to offend anyone. Um, <laughs> but we will be back with you shortly. Welcome back everyone. Hopefully you have a nice coffee or tea in hand. We're now going to be talking about some poetry that we've read recently or that has resurfaced for us. Uh, is there anything that's caught your eye lately, Neve? Well, I recently bought this anthology, which is called We Want It All, an anthology of radical trans poetics. Um, and it's edited by Kay Gabriel and Andrea Abikaram. I haven't actually <laughs> dug into it as much as I would have liked to yet, but it's because it's quite thick and I'm just waiting until coursework's over. I can start reading for pleasure again without the threat of deadlines, but it looks really, really good. And I've heard a lot of people speak about it in a really good way. And it seems quite kind of experimental. So really looking forward to that. Um, I recently read Franny Choi's collection Soft Science which is a really really great collection particularly there was this poem in there called On the Election Night um, which is basically the speaker is masturbating on election night and it's just a really great poem and I also have reread Sean Hewitt's Tongues of Fire which is his first collection he's a queer Irish poet and that is an amazing collection um, it really is really really good um, and it's just very relaxing for me to read and I'd love to be able to write like that, you know, especially about nature. And I don't even really think of him as a nature poet, but obviously a lot of what he talks about is in the natural world. But yeah, very interesting. Very. <laughs> what about you? Um, yeah, I've read a few things for one of my classes, actually, that I've really enjoyed reading, particularly a poem by Gertrude Stein called Susie Asado, a poem, a poem of hers that I hadn't read before, but it's very sensory and there's very little meaning or the meaning is not the most important part of the poem. It's like a soundscape, really. You really get into 
the body of Gertrude Stein lusting for this dancer. And it's it's very powerful and very assured. And I really enjoy reading and I would like to write like that. Very interesting. <laughs> Sounds nice. Oh yeah, and that poem by Franny Choi is called On the Night of the Election. Lovely. Be sure to check it out. We'll link it in the show notes. Mm. The thing is, it's just like, it's so easy to kind of get all these collections and get all these books and just not read them, especially at the moment. It's like, well, I think that kind of lockdown was providing me with kind of all this time to read. And actually, I feel like I've got so much to get through. Yeah, I get what you mean. There have just been books and books and collections that have piled up mm. over the year, basically. Yeah, really Plus, have. like, yeah, having to read for uni means that there's little time to read for pleasure. And while reading's often pleasurable if you're reading like essays and reports it's not not that fun necessarily I think it's just because you know you're going to be graded on it <laughs> yeah you that's know? true what about anything that you've written recently is there anything that you feel encapsulates your voice there's a poem I wrote um a while ago which is published in the Roundhouse Poetry Collective's anthology called um, We Have Never Seen Something Like This. And you should definitely check it out because they're all great poets and there's such a eclectic group of voices that emerge there. And my poem is called Calcium Surplus. And as I'm saying that, <laughs> I'm reminded of the fact that I need to go to the bloody dentist. <laughs> I need to go to the hygienist and get my wisdom teeth checked because they've been killing my mouth recently. But anyway, um, so this is actually a sonnet because it is 14 lines although that was not on purpose at first um and it's actually for Maya it's for you um, of course yeah so I'll read that for you calcium surplus my index finger is milky green from the ring you gave me haven't brushed our teeth for two days and this is my only chance to experience calcium surplus luckily my sister gave us a seal bag of toothpaste from her tube if that's not familial love, I don't know what is. But my love for you is as thick as sunblock, as clear as antihistamine. Perhaps the leaves of those now dead plants you got me mean something about nurturing the self because I think I look after you just fine. How lovely. Because it's about me. Yeah, how lovely. <laughs> These things actually did happen, by the way. This is not, you know, total fiction. Um, my sister did give us a seal bag of toothpaste from her tube. Yeah, in, in Stuttgart, we went to visit her and mm. didn't have toothpaste, of course. So she gave us a Ziploc bag of Colgate toothpaste and we spent the week sticking our toothbrush mm. in that Ziploc bag. Yeah, I mean, we're not very prepared. I think it's quite funny because actually also that poem for me, when we went to see her, it was like, so she was doing her year abroad there and working and I was just like, oh my God, like she's such an adult, you know? Like what what are we doing? Just kind of moving around and um, yeah, kind of her even just kind of having a, <laughs> a tube of toothpaste and that kind of like very adult thing or so it seems to be. So I feel like that kind of came in there as well. And while we were there in Germany, I, I did have various kind of allergic reactions and I was very sensitive to certain creams, I think. And so you had to give me some antihistamine tablets and things like that. You say you? allergic, I say eczema. Eczema. <laughs> you say allergic, I say eczema. Allergic. <laughs> eczema. <laughs> um, and also those plants did die. You got me these 
two plants um, last year in January and they just died. <laughs> <laughs> they did very much die. Yeah. But I do, I do really love that poem. I think it's, it's a really great way to show you and the way you're like, I love your poetry because of how fragmented it is. Thank you. It's like all these moments and memories kind of fitted together and they don't necessarily always seem related, but they always work. Thank you very much. Do you want to read something as well? Um, sure, yeah. I'll read a poem called Clavicle Hammock, which was inspired by, well, I actually wrote it in the first lockdown. I was thinking, I'm often thinking about Anne Carson's autobiography of Red. And it does worry me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I recommend it to too many people. I was thinking about it a lot. And I was also thinking about Plato's allegory of the cave and something connected both of them in my mind. First of all, how do you say ala? Allegory. That's how I say it. I think a lot of people say allegory. I think it is allegory, but when I read it, say allegory when I yeah. read it in my head but anyway why don't you explain what this Plato's cave is it's actually Plato's know. allegory <laughs> of the <Sorry>. cave <laughs> so in essence there is a cave and people live in it and it's all they know and one day one of them explores and finds the outside and he comes back and tells everyone and thinks that they should basically go out there. But everyone is quite happy to stay in the cave and they kill him. So I guess it's a kind of ignorance is bliss, state of denial, allegory. But it's very interesting. And it wasn't so much the story as the image of like a cave and kind of wandering through this cave towards light that really inspired me. And yeah, someone wrote a poem about you it's talking about light, wasn't it? Oh, someone did. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I come from a city in Holland called The Hague and it's quite small. And there's this guy who notoriously wanders around in the evenings and allegedly he writes poems for people, but maybe he writes them in batches and just reads them out. That's what I thought. Like I got that one last week, had that one last <laughs> month. <laughs> but I was out with my friend a few years ago and he came up to us and read us a poem that he'd written and in Dutch, it was, Jullie hebben de dingen niet nodig om te kunnen zien, maar de dingen hebben jullie nodig om gezien te kunnen worden. Which is like... Um, Translation, please. <laughs> you don't need things to see, but people need you to be seen. This poem, Klavakohamak, is nothing like that. <laughs> um, but here it is. You can find it on Stone of Madness Press. Klavakohamak. Sigh and sky matted with thoughts of drinking cordial from the corners of your limbs, pooling in the flesh of your clavicle hammock I rest, and ask what a child's limbs are made for if not to be broken. Perhaps to bend into shape a crowbar or hammer, used to hammer mother's clavicle to the mantle and kiss her metatarsal bones before resting, in a hammock under God I will sleep under blankets made of a torn woman's muscle stitched filaments fingering the webbing of my toes like a violin, stringing to the drum of cordial dripping on hardwood floors of my ribcage corridor I sleep, and dream of steel crowbars and cordial sweet. That was very beautiful. Thank you. You used to break your bones quite a lot, didn't you? Oh, I really, really <laughs> did, 100%. Mm. 
Yeah, you've got to be careful. You hurt your back one time, do you remember? Oh, I hit my back on the table. Mm. But um, yeah, I really enjoyed writing this poem and I enjoy reading it. Mm. I remember when you read it to me first, I was like, what do those words mean? <laughs> <laughs> what was that one? Which Metatarsal? One? Oh yeah, the feet bones. So you know what that means? I do. Am I just stupid? Definitely not. No. Don't forget, I'm a student of the School of Grey's Anatomy. You are, yeah, yeah. There's another bone in there, the clavicle. Mm. Where's your clavicle? Collarbone. Collarbone. Yeah, so I just thought the image of a clavicle hammock mm. was it's quite, quite cool. It's quite eerie, actually, when you think about it, like a, yeah. you know, like a skeleton. I like. guess, yeah, maybe a frail-ish person, but then mm. this like very small child wandering their body mm. and being able to fit in the flesh between like your shoulder blade mm. and your clavicle and I thought it would be cool to swim in it. It also feels quite eerie to me like this kind of this sweetness of the cordial yeah and then this creepy you know remnants of life. <laughs> yeah I guess also like hanging the bones up or hammering them. Mm, that reminds me of like the crucifixion actually. Yeah that was kind of why I did <laughs> really? it. Really? Yeah. You are definitely somebody that drinks cordial without it being no, diluted. We do no, love a bit of elderflower cordial. But I don't drink it not diluted. You literally like everything that is not diluted. Like you have your Robinson squash and it's... You were the one who actually did that. It was you a mistake. too much in. It was a mistake. I do like it very, very strong, mm. but only if it's going to be sour. Mm. I do love the lemons. I love, I love getting a drink and eating the lemon or eating the lime. My mum taught me lemon and hot sauce. That's mm. a, that's her little trick. Mm. We had lemons on that on our first day, didn't we? We ate lemons. Yeah, we did at the diner. Um, but yeah, very exciting. Um, next up, we're going to be um, talking to the very amazing um, Connor Burton. And um, Connor is a poet from Brighton, living in London. Um, they write a lot about being queer and trans and their relationship to others in the world. And they're a member of the Roundhouse Poetry Collective, 29 to 21. Um, so 29 to 21. 20, oh, I did it again. <laughs> I said this earlier to that Maya. That was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. How yesterday. old's Connor then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 2019 to 2021. Well done, little mm. mathematician over here. I am a mathematician. Mathlete. Yeah, mathlete. If only you could translate those math skills into gardening yeah i don't think that's happening anytime soon very much doubt it yeah just you know cold, cold glass or something with some ice sit in the garden read a book listen to some music and um i'm sorted to be honest get the freckles out lucky you with those freckles mm, yeah so anyway we'll be back in a minute <laughs> Hi Connor, thank you so much for um, coming today and um, doing an interview with us. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to get things started? Um, okay, well thank you for having me and asking me to come. This is my first interview, so it's going to be hilarious. Um, I'm Connor, uh, my pronouns are he or they, and I do poetry. I'm also a student, so I don't have another job at the moment but I do have a rich and varied job history which includes um, being a cactus salesperson. I worked at a condom factory and um, what else did I do? 
I was a waiter at a immersive Charles Dickens themed dining experience. So those are some of my jobs that I've had. How are you? <laughs> We're very good. They sound like okay. they could be crazy poems, all of those jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I think it's just too real because most of them were customer service and I'm just not ready, to be honest. Thank you for introducing yourself. The (laughs) first thing that we'd like to know is what kind of space you enjoy writing in and uh, whether or not that's changed in the past year or so or recently. Um, So I thought about this and sadly... It's quite boring. I like writing in my room at my desk. But I was thinking about how it's changed during lockdown. And obviously that hasn't really changed. But um, I did last year, I did find that I was by about the summer, every poem I was writing was always, um, okay, you're in a room and something really weird is happening. And once I realized that was happening, I was like, okay, lean into it, make it really weird. But yeah, I lived alone and all of my poems <laughs> took place in my room. Um, when I was younger, I used to walk, walk around and write in my head, but I don't think I have the memory or the, the energy anymore, maybe. <laughs> You're in the Roundhouse Poetry Collective. Are there any other kind of creative communities that you particularly enjoy being in, whether that's just writing or kind of anything else? Yeah, I do feel like the Roundhouse has been really special. I've done other courses like it like um, the writing room with Raptors and Snakes, and that was fantastic. And um, there is something really nice about being in a group where even though people are from like different experiences and different experiences of poetry, everyone's there for the same reason, which is because they really like poetry. And that sounds really basic, but even some other groups I've done, it's not always the case, so that's really nice. And I, there's another one that I'm thinking of, which is uh, I help run a monthly open mic in Brighton called Peer Poets. Uh, which you can find on Facebook, I think. And uh, that's been a really nice community. Uh, It's been going for about two years and we have uh, similar people come and new people come and go. And um, we moved that online when it was locked down and it's been really nice to have that continue. That's uh, just a sharing. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, With the Roundhouse and kind of like having such a mix of experience there, because I feel like that's that felt really um, important to me and that gave me the opportunity. Um, I think I feel like to be there and also just what you were saying about, um, yeah, all the, all, like the lockdown poems in one room. I would just, <laughs> at, at that point we were like living in, we were in Waterloo and we were in like an Airbnb and all my poems were like, I'm looking out the window, like <laughs> another cigarette, like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, the thing that I like that my that I've started doing more is like sort of surreal, um, weird stuff happening. That definitely came from that. Like, I can't write another poem about the wall. Please, God, let me not write another poem about the wall. So I'd start inventing weird stuff to happen. Yeah, and I guess out of all the mediums one could choose, why poetry? So one of the, the actual reasons why I started writing poetry was um, because I had... Uh, a really big crush on a guy who wrote poetry about the girl he had a crush on. And I was like, well, I couldn't do that probably. And I really enjoyed it. It was very teenage and there were lots of rhyming couplets. Um, but I think the thing that, <clears throat> that I take from that is like rhyme, for example, 
and other kind of constraints like that can be really productive in writing and leading you down different avenues. I don't know. It's, it's really just about writing sappy love poems. And that is what I'm really still doing. Um, in terms of what you said, yeah, kind of about still writing love poems, I'm very much in the same boat as as you know. <laughs> it's just one of those things. I remember being like, I started writing poetry in primary school and I had this little notebook and um, I had a crush on my teacher and I would write little poems about my teacher going off to war and me being like <laughs> a really cheesy image. I'd be like looking out the window, you know, like, like, where is my lover kind of thing. And I think an element of that has definitely stayed in terms of like writing about love and desire. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's just like, a, that feels like quite a common thing. And I think poetry can really communicate love in so many different ways. You can just pour your heart out, even if it's like through abstract ideas it can still be there which I really love. Mm, I was just gonna say as well I remember you read I I don't know what poem what type it was but it was either a pantoum or a guzzle or something like that which I love. A sestina. A sestina yeah that was yeah I remember that was amazing I think you read that on the retreat um, with the poetry collective yeah I love that. So talking about love and and poetry how do you feel that queerness in terms of like sexuality and gender identity infiltrate or inspire any of your work if they do at all Mm. yeah infiltrate is a fun way of thinking about it I mean like in the first instance I mean like yeah I definitely do in the first instance all my poems are queer and trans because it's me writing them so ha um and particularly the ones about desire, it's gay. But um, yeah, infiltrate. It's I, that makes me think of like the kind of um, reading between the lines kinds of thing that the queer people have had to do and have to do in history, and how that kind of comes into poetry because poetry is also really about reading between the lines and the effect that happens between the lines in a way that maybe prose isn't. And I got really into um, the idea of trying to like, for, like write a poem that has an emotional effect without writing the emotion like into the poem or describing or stating emotion, which I think is really, it's definitely possible to do. And that's something else that poetry is really good for because that's what, that's where all the sort of poetic effects like repetition or you know, alliteration, I can only think of the kind of high school ones, but um, <laughs> come in because they create an effect. And that that's true in prose as well, of course. Um, they create an effect that's like not something you can necessarily describe or pinpoint, um, except you have to in this essay. But anyway, so yeah, I got, I was really interested in that. And I think it is interesting. The other month I was reading Chan Chan, uh, when I grew up, I want to be a list of further possibilities. And I was just really hit like, oh, wow, these poems are so good, but they also aren't afraid of their own emotions, if you know what I mean. So now I'm trying to put it back in and just have some emotions in the poems. I think that's really interesting, those kinds of two sides of it, of kind of weaving or in a sense, like disguising those emotions and then actually putting them out there. Um, 
And I think to do that is really difficult to almost dress up those emotions as something different for the reader to kind of find on their own or feel maybe without realizing. Um, yeah. One of my modules, we did a poem by Gertrude Stein called Susie Asado, which is like, it just feels like a, like a free write almost. Like it doesn't really make much sense, but at the same time, it's so put together that you, f- you feel something really intense and it is about desire, but there's no word related to desire in any way, but somehow you're left with that feeling. I think it's really interesting to do. But I also, yeah, I like what you're saying about not being afraid to just put it out there at the same time. Mm, yeah, I think it's interesting as well because it's like quite hard. Um, I, I don't know, kind of the balance between kind of stating, like for me personally, stating an emotion in a poem. Because I think sometimes when you write something that sounds really sick and then you've kind of got this really kind of intense emotion and you actually state it, that it works for me when it's there. But kind of also putting it in com- you know completely different words so that it's not stated I do find it hard to kind of get the balance um between the two either kind of going this is a little bit more vague you know and more outright um I guess it's because sometimes just stating the word even though for me it feels you know like a bold thing to do and I, I like the way it sounds I like the way it looks in other people's poems I also feel like it can be a bit lazy uh, I get all the time like I'll say to my friend like oh I've got this this it's amazing you don't even you don't even know and then I'll just say like the green or whatever and then she's like oh Connor not again and I'm like no 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 no, you don't get it so I think it but also there's no you know it doesn't have to be for other people all the time maybe I should just write a poem that's full of stuff I want it to be and just be like yeah that's amazing anyway (laughs) um and 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 in terms of the queerness the other I mean that's kind of the other thing I was going to say is like um I try not to be too serious about poetry, even though I have a tendency to be over serious in my life, I think. Um, and to try and like take each thing as it comes. And there's also, I think, like like my approach to doing gender, try not to be too serious about it and like allow yourself to be surprised, maybe. Um, and yeah, so I think that's fun as well. I don't want it, I don't want to decide what my serious project is which is poetry and then do it like I'd rather just write a poem about it. Is there anything that you're working on um that you would like to share with us kind of a a bit about it or kind of the process anything like that? Yeah so I mean so if this question means like do you have a pamphlet coming out the answer is no I do not um (laughs) although that's what I'm working towards. One of the like things that's a bit more of a project I guess an individual poem is I'm working on a sequence um which is about the story of Iphis and Ianthi from Ovid's Metamorphoses oh you're nodding you're nodding yeah great um I, lo- I looked at it in school I mean uni um and I was like hmm how interesting uh basically it's uh, a story in which one of the characters changes gender or is changed gender by the gods and uh is I guess in that sense it's quite an old example of a of a gender change story um, or a trans character I guess. Um, um, so I'm rewriting the story into a new sequence of poems. Um, it's now a trans uh, T for T love story, and 
all the other characters are gay if they're not trans and some of them are both as is life and uh it's really fun uh kind of doing the rewriting that sounds really fascinating i'll be really interested to read that i actually i think i wrote a little bit about that myth um in a module for an essay last term my God. Um, but i have well, kind of forgotten yeah. a little bit about it so that would be interesting to kind of yeah like see where you take that and yeah exactly having you know multiple trans characters as well i think that's quite um it's exactly what we need <laughs> so yeah that's one thing <laughs> where can we go about to find more of your work so realistically um on twitter um just c-o-n-r-b-y-r-n-e that's where I actually would post anything, to be honest. Um, recently, I've been published on Had Hobart After Dark, which is a really, uh, really fun website journal uh, where they do like uh, flash submission uh, things, and then they get back to you in like a day. So that's really fun. And uh, uh, Clavmag as well, and also the uh, Roundhouse Poetry Collective anthology online, which is on the Roundhouse website, and that's really good. So yeah, those places. <laughs> thank you so much connor for um coming on today and speaking with us it's been very very nice it's been really nice to meet you properly and get to speak to you after all the good things i've heard as well so oh. <laughs> <laughs> good things all good things <laughs> um yeah thank you that was pretty fun the following is a reading of connor burns poem pilot feel free to check out their twitter linked in the show notes Pilot. I woke to mint blue, a sterile hum. A beautiful man slept on his knees beside my bed, his forehead folded over my hand. When I coughed, the man stirred and laid kisses on my knuckles. He said, I'm going to get the doctor. Then I gave bad answers to my name and the date and the name of the prime minister. The doctor told us that I had rom-com amnesia. My husband went outside for a sob and a rage. I did more tests. I was somewhere in the drum of a washing machine, grasping wet strings of silk. I was bathing in the cold, empty bottom of the kitchen sink. When my husband returned, he sat, eking out facts. Am I normally this calm? I asked. He laughed, his face folded in a way I could imagine loving. Then his first question, do you know your gender? I did not. He said, don't be shocked, then he told me everything. Wow, I said, I had no idea, but okay, good, that's fine. Good for you, good for me, good to know, thanks for saying. Later, in the clinical shower, unsteady, the nurse turned away. I rubbed fresh soap all over my body. I was covered in hair, searching for a hesitation. A thousand hairs of identical lengths swam under the pore of the water. I didn't find a tragedy, a lack, a barrier. I was probably pleased with my big square body. I wore a fluffy robe that my husband gave me. Tell me how I feel about my body, I demanded. He held me and told me everything, eyes wet from my gender. The doctor said you might be confused or upset, he told me. Why would I be upset, I replied, turning to the camera. That was Connor's poem, Pilot, and we'll be back with you shortly. Mm-hmm.
welcome back listeners um and that was Connor Byrne um reading their poem pilot which was a really beautiful reading wasn't it Maya it was I really enjoyed Connor's reading voice as well get an audiobook that's, Connor <laughs> yeah I was gonna say that's um audiobook material that's mm. I'd like that on my calm app yeah have so a meditation read by Connor um, yeah. yeah I really enjoyed the imagery I really enjoyed the conversational aspect of it and I think definitely hearing it read aloud um, like you know he said and, and stuff like that it was really really enjoyable to listen to and I think it was very for me it felt really kind of like restrained and gentle even though it was obviously on a, a really big topic like the question do you know your gender um, and it was presented in this kind of really you know beautifully restrained and, and gentle way yeah I, I really enjoyed that it felt to me like like rewriting a conversation that you might have with yourself as one had between yourself and some significant people like a doctor and a spouse mm. I thought that that added a an element that felt very free to me actually it felt um very free in its kind of quietness and then with the question you know do you know your gender it's like oh of course that's what this is mm. and yeah it didn't feel too I I personally didn't take it as being restrained mm. but I think that I think that would make sense because it is so subtle mm. at the same time yeah I think also the question like why would I be upset as well at the end that was really kind of powerful wasn't it mm. and then it kind of hits you kind of just kind of confirms even more what's going on um so thank you Connor so much for that and sharing that with us yeah thank you Connor um and so with Connor we were you know speaking about places that we like working in which is an interesting one I guess over lockdown and over the last year you know whether that's changed or not for people and it definitely has for me I don't know what about what about you Maya kind of what are the spaces that you feel you can write in that you feel productive in you know that inspire you the places that I like to write in change a lot and kind of have changed like throughout my life um and I feel like you kind of have to adapt sometimes but I I do enjoy writing outside but I find it hard to write in the garden because it's either eerily quiet or there are too many people. But at the moment, I really enjoy writing in our living room. I really like writing in my notes app, just kind of when something comes to me. And yeah, in general, I, I, I enjoy writing when I'm out of the house. Um, I think that makes me quite happy, especially like traveling, being somewhere new, and then just going off for a moment by myself to just think, feels really good mm. yeah I think as well like in terms of spaces like physical spaces at the moment that really feels like am I gonna write on my laptop or am I gonna write in a notebook and ideally I want a nice notebook to write in but sometimes I do get lazy and I write on my laptop and I you know I'm doing other stuff I'm doing work I'm you know I'm writing essays and then you know in between I'm opening up all these tabs and all these documents with kind of bits and pieces and the only problem I find with that is they never actually kind of come into something that I want and they never kind of feel as they never feel like it's something I'm putting out there for some reason it always feels quite surface kind of what I'm doing I don't know why that is I guess I can't connect with it as much even with my blue light glasses I guess <laughs> I guess um 
writing on paper is like more natural, like mm. you're closer to it. And I think you're less scared of mistakes because you know, the thing as well, like you can easily go into editing mode straight away when you start writing on a Word document because you're deleting things. Whereas when you're writing on paper, it's it's easier to kind of keep going and not read back in the same way. That's what I find. Yeah, I definitely find that I'm um, more cautious of what I write when I write in a notebook mm. because it feels more permanent. On a computer, it's just like, oh, that could be gone tomorrow. That's interesting, yeah. Um, I think though in terms of spaces I mean I do kind of like writing at home I used to really just be like I need complete silence I need complete silence for everything to work in to read in and I've really started to battle against that recently because in a way that's kind of not life and obviously when it's silent in a room you know my head might be going like a thousand miles an hour and I've kind of started being able to you know work in busier places and work with noise and work with earphones on with really loud music and kind of writing against my own kind of inhibitions um and just I guess seeing what comes out and seeing where it takes me because I guess that silence as well often I'm you know if I've kind of got this designated writing time which is like in complete silence perhaps I could concentrate but at the same time it feels kind of there's often too much pressure I put too much pressure on myself to produce something or start producing something then Whereas if I'm outside, I'm on the tube. Yeah, the, one of my favorite places to write is actually on the tube when I've got mu you know, music in my earphones and I just get my phone notes app out or a notebook if I have one handy um, and just write there and in the garden when there's loads of stuff, even when there's drilling going on, you know, it annoys me and I just write about the fact that it annoys me. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoy doing free writes um, with music, like finding a song that I know it's not about places, but you're talking about sound. Um, I really enjoy finding a song and thinking I want to write something that feels like this song and then doing a free write to it. And usually when I do that, something good comes out of it that I want to use. So mm. We did a really good um, free write together, which I so actually recommend anyone wants to do that with your friends. Um, we got a Google Docs. So obviously it wasn't a computer, we were typing, um, but we would get a song and write, you know, at the same time and then have a look at what each other had written and kind of be picking out all these things that we liked and it kind of it gave for it gave me you know encouragement to feel like I wasn't so shit you know that's what it did do it put a bit of pressure on me to write to produce something good but also I stopped being embarrassed of what I was writing you know and that's kind of especially kind of sharing in group settings and things like that free writes I've never been one to kind of want to do that and I feel like now that is potentially changed. I just feel a little bit less embarrassed about what, what first comes out. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. I've never been in like a, or I had never been in any like writing group until more recently. And even then we very rarely shared any work. So I never, I've never really had that experience before. And um, yeah, it was good. And it's interesting to see like the difference between what I liked about what I'd written and what you liked about what I'd written and kind of how different they were or similar. It's always different. Yeah. Mm. So we've had a really great episode, I think, haven't we? Yeah. Really, been really, good. really, been really, really good. nice to chat to Connor. Very, very interesting poet. Do go and check out some more of their work. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And the other stuff that we'll put links to. Um, and it was nice to chat to you, Maya. 
had a really yeah, good time. Nice chat to you. I haven't seen you in ages. Yeah, I haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> yeah, please do keep subscribed to Amplify. And we'd like to thank Rise and Amplify for making this all happen. And Kyle Blackburn for helping us with the technology and not making us feel completely lost and confused. Mm. And thank you, Neve. Thank for you. Being my co-host. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by The Rise Collective. Thank you to Kyle Blackburn, Sarisha Kumar, Amy Parks, Max Sanderson, Claude Barb Brown, and Marla Axon. Music by Pembroke. We would also like to thank the Young Londoners Fund for making this series of Amplify possible. If you'd like to find out more about Rise and support our work, visit our website www.theriscollective.org.uk or check us out on social media at The Rise Collective UK. See you next time on Amplify.